So if milestone one drips, well, just because I'm crazy, I already have a bit of slack in, so we're okay. But let's say it's two weeks out for the presentation and we're really off base. I may call the admin and say, hey, like, I don't know if this presentation is going to be ready. Is there any flexibility to push it a week? And I'm not calling her like the night before. So, I mean, it's not anything fancy, but it's really just taking a step back and, and digesting a project into multiple pieces. Got together. I know. I don't know. It was just a good talk. And, and I love how interested and how important concerts are to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And how you were talking about that. And like, whenever I said, I couldn't remember the last time I went to one, you were like, what the hell? What's wrong with yeah. you? Yeah. But what, what is mean, it about concerts that you like, like so much? I mean, I think it like, first thing, it like transports me back to like when I was younger, right? Less responsibility. You know, the biggest thing on your mind was, am I going to wear my Chuck Taylors or am I going to wear my flip flops kind of thing, right? So like one, just like taking it back to like, you know, a different point in your life where maybe stuff wasn't as stressful. And then here, I think something about just like hearing live music, you know, Matt, is just, it, I don't know, it helps you just like block out all the craziness, at least in my mind. Like, I'm not thinking about, I need to sign Julia, my daughter up for summer camp, or, you know, my boss has a report due on Monday. And, you know, my brain's just like constantly thinking about what I need to be doing next. And what I find when I'm like in live music, I'm just like, oh man, this song is really like, making me melancholy. Let me like live into that. Or, oh my God, this song played at this concert party and we were like doing a keg stand. And, you know, it just, it just kind of helps transport you. And instead of being like stuck and worried about the future, you're just in the moment. And maybe that takes you back to a good time or it takes you back to a silly time. It just helps kind of calm the madness, if that makes sense in my mind. Yeah. I've heard people compare it to like drugs. So yeah, sure. it, it just like strips away anxiety. You're not thinking yeah. about the future. You're just there and you're just yeah. feeling like what's yeah. happening. And that's pretty cool. A few weeks after we got together, it was Mother's Day, I think. Okay. And so my wife went to the Ed Sheeran concert in Houston mm -hmm. with her brother. Yeah. So she, she like texted so wait, me. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Back up. Like, did you buy these tickets for your wife? Like, did you win husband of the year? Like, walk me through the process. <laughs> no. So I had a whole other stuff planned okay. like we did our thing on like mother's day itself but okay. the day okay. before i can't remember what was going on i think i was i took my daughter to soccer and mm -hmm. um i think we we're on the way back and she called me or we went to lunch or something and she called me and was like hey can i go to the ed sheeran concert tonight sure okay, go yeah, for girl. it and so that just meant i needed to watch the kids for that night okay. and do bedtime mm -hmm. by myself i'm like that's yeah. not a big deal With, at all yeah you're easy um, yeah you got but that. yeah it was it was funny the state that she got in when she got home and like, I don't know, it was, it was cool. So, wait, um, so, she, went, so she went with her brother, you said? Yeah. 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 Okay. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like three years apart, super tight. They went to the same college together yeah. and like hung out a lot and nice. they've got a good relationship. Yeah. They had, nice. had fun. So do you think that she was able to, for those two or three hours, not worry about laundry? She knows Matt has the kids and just like able to. Not, okay, do I need chicken at the grocery store or do I need grape jelly? I mean, it's just like a freeing moment, I think. And there's yeah. very few things in life that I found that can help transport me to a like very calm and and non-listing-making mode. And concerts is like are definitely at the top of the list. I have a couple others that help me kind of decompress and wind down a little bit, but concerts are obviously like the most fun, right? Yeah. Going to that concert definitely overshadowed all the plans that I had for her <laughs> Mother's Day. And <laughs> She may or may not have been hot over for us, too. It's I mean, okay. Part of, part of the present was you stepped up and took, a, you know, some additional responsibilities, yeah. you know, that 
y'all would have had to share instead of her just doing. So, I mean, that, that counts. That counts. Yeah. I'm yeah, trying no, to think since sure. I've seen you, we went, we went to, a, oh, we saw the Mars Volta um, at 713, which is a super cool venue if you haven't been. They, you know, redid the old post office downtown. And it's super cool because my dad worked at the post office as like an actual postal worker. So I always get like real sentimental when I'm there and I'm like, hey, like I wouldn't even be able to like afford, you know, some of these pricey concert tickets. If like he hadn't had this job where he was working, you know, he would work Christmases and Thanksgiving to to get extra overtime. And, you know, I, I don't know that I would be here at this point if he hadn't really put in kind of the work up front and it set me up. So I always get a little sentimental, but the concert was was awesome. I don't know if you've ever seen Mars Volta, but put it on your to-do list. Take your wife. It's another one where you're just like transported to like a, another universe. Their music is all over the place in like the best possible way. Yeah, we're going to the Blink-182 concert later this year. Okay, and yeah. is that at the Woodland? Where are they playing? I don't even know. Okay. Um, that, that that's way too far in advance for me awesome to like plan now. a location. And I'm <laughs> hoping, have they released new music or is it going to be like what you're wanting to hear? They better play what I want to hear. They better. Um, or walk out. They do walk out. Because I remember okay, like, they were they were the second parental advisory CD that I ever what bought. What was back the first when I was a teenager. One? Uh Nelly Country Grammar. Oh my God, that was magic. I I could like you could put that album on right now. I could say every song verbatim. Like don't text me right now because I may flub a little. But yeah, that was also a good one. But yeah, no, I've heard I've had a couple of friends go to Blink 182 and they said it was just I mean, talk about transporting, man. I mean it's yeah. They're rocking a thick show, but it was funny because they walk in and my son's like, what are all these like old people doing here? And I'm like, bro, they're all your age. Like we're old. We're old now. That's <laughs> us. That's us. But that's yeah. awesome. You're going to have to keep me posted on the Blink-182 concert because I'm super jealous about that one. Yeah, we're we're excited. You'll probably yeah. go to it anyway, too. Yeah. I might throw it in. I might do like a, a game time decision and snag some tickets. I don't yeah. think, I think I actually, I saw Taylor Swift too, I think, since I saw you maybe. And no, we course, talked I mean, about that one. We talked about yeah. Taylor. Okay. Well, it's just, it's worth talking about again, Matt. I mean, it was a little intense, but it was, it knocked my socks off. She's just, I felt like she's a so cliche, but she's such a good role model. I feel like for, you know, my daughter and people of that age where she, I really think is putting her best foot forward. And she talks about work ethic and not playing into like being nasty to people and just being a good person. And she does kind of the, I don't know, ideologies puts that up front that like some of the other Superstars are, are doing. I'm a Swifty, Matt. Okay. I'm a Swifty. You, <laughs> we got, all you got it out of me. We all are, whether we know it or not. Yeah. Um, fair. No, I, I saw a conversation between her and I think it was her dad, maybe her business manager or something. Yeah. And they were arguing because she wanted to take a, a stance on it might have been some abortion stuff that was going on. Yeah. Okay. Or something that was controversial. Some hot ticket item, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and she felt really strongly about it, and they were like, "Why would you risk alienating, you know, half your fan base?" Blah blah yeah. blah. And she yeah. she spoke with some heart about standing up for what's right. And, yeah. and that, I thought that, that was that's awesome. That's pretty that's cool. awesome because I feel like a lot of people. I mean, especially like in a work environment, right? Like you're you're very cognizant of kind of you know playing the middle field because you don't know who's you know in the room. But I like it that she's just like, I'm going to say, I'm going to say what I want and stand up for what I believe in. And we need, we need more people like that. Yeah. Now I, I will say that, you know, when you have, you know, half a kajillion dollars is still like enough. <laughs> so she, she's got that freedom. Yeah. Like, she could literally not make another dollar today, Matt, and she's going to be fine. I, I saw the number and I can't even remember how much she made on the, you know, this latest tour and it's ridiculous. I don't want to know. 
Oh, yeah, you don't. Yeah. You know, it'll it'll depress you. It'll depress you. It was well worth it. I mean, she played for like four or five hours. I mean, it was nuts, like what she did. It was so good. I can't lie. I can't lie. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. I should probably introduce anybody that's listening to to what's happening Fair. here. Fair. This is the Taylor Swift uh, episode of the Achieve um, and Enjoy podcast. I'm Taylor. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, no, this is episode, I think, seven. And the purpose of this podcast is to explore the relationship between work and happiness, achievement and joy, and success and contentment. This is going to be obviously pretty candid and relaxed conversation, and we'll see where it goes. Today, we've got Jamie, which is awesome, which you've heard her love for Taylor Swift so far. And on Volta. I need to get some street credit. That's the cool band. That's the cool yeah, band that, for y'all listening. That, yeah, that is, I have a full spectrum, Matt. Somebody so. might be okay with Mars Volta on Reddit. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that, that's cool. Why don't you introduce yourself? So who are you? What do you do for work? Just to like frame it for people. Yeah. And then yeah. I'd love to hear your story. And so when I say story, I mean story, not resume or like work history or any shit like that. How did you get here? What's important to you? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. Okay. So first of all, Jamie Villarreal. Um, who am I? I think obviously like all of us, I wear, you know, many hats. My first hat, I would say, is, is my family hat. I have a beautiful daughter who's nine years old and is currently at summer camp and just got a new phone. So she's texting me right before this. She wants to come home. And I said, too bad, so sad, because mom was a celebrity and recording podcast. <laughs> um, so that's, that's definitely one hat that I enjoy. I'm you know, married to a, a wonderful guy, Josh. We are hitting our 15-year wedding anniversary this year. So super excited about that. I'm actually going to do a, a cool photo shoot where I'm going to wear my mom's wedding dress from the 70s. And we're going to do like a retro wedding album. So, you know, more to come on that. It's very important. And then, you know, the work hat. That's obviously, you know, takes up a big portion of my day to day. Luckily, it's something that I really, really enjoy. I work for a company called Marathon Oil. I'm sure a lot of y'all have heard of it. Believe it or not, I've only worked at Marathon. So I've interned for a gazillion companies, but Marathon has been tried and true also for the last 15 years. And, and mm. Matt and I will probably get into that a little bit more, but I've run the gamut in terms of what topics I've, I've pursued at Marathon. My most current is I am the production and reservoir manager for our EG asset. So that's Equatorial Guinea. It's located in Africa. I'm just dipping my toe in. I started late March, so still very much kind of getting up to speed on, on what that job's going to look like, but it's going to be something completely different than what I've done before. So I'm just, I'm just excited. There's a lot I can bring to the table in terms of past experiences, but there's a lot I'm, I'm going to get to learn as well. A little bit more about me. I love concerts. Obviously, we talked about that. I'm a foodie. I'm down to kind of try anything new. I love to go to new restaurants. I live in Houston in the Heights represent the the interloopers everybody out there with interloopers um i have not given up hope and moved out to the burbs but never say never so enjoy concerts food like to travel as we can i'm I'm hoping maybe to take some international trips obviously i'll be traveling to africa with my new role so very much looking forward to that kind of new adventure but yeah i would say those are kind of my big things and in, in terms of really like what drives me is what's going to make kind of me and my family happy and I think as I've kind of gotten older, I, you know, changed the definition or even realized I needed to define that because you can say happiness and kind of take the surface level. But obviously that kind of depends on who they are, what you are, what kind of, you know, frame of life you're in. But yeah, I would say those are, those are kind of my big ticket items, Matt. Did I, did I miss anything? Did I disappoint? No. Did I live no, it up? I'm, okay. No, that's awesome. 
Okay. So I, I do want to pick on one thing that you said. So you, you took the role that you're in now in like March yeah. and you said you're figuring out what that job is. Yeah. Can you say more about what that looks like for you? Like, how do you figure out what a job is? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's such an interesting point. Okay. So I'm going to rewind and then I'll, I'll circle back to that. Yep. So I am a type A control freak, plans the 11th hour, not only in my work life, but my private life. Like when we go on a trip, I have my itinerary, wake up, breakfast, da, 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 da. So I like structure. I like to know what to expect. I like to know that I can deliver on things. And so that, that's why, like, so, sorry. So that, that's why I asked, because from the one time that we met, I pegged you as the type of person that would have had a 90 day plan oh, and like yeah. all this stuff, like 90 days before you started the job. Oh, well, yeah, a hundred percent. And that was really like how my life in terms of career had been up until like, let's say year 10. Okay. And in the past, I don't know, three or four years, I've probably had seven or eight different jobs all within marathon, but ranging from like six months to one year to 18 months to two years. And if you had asked me a few years ago, I would have been like, that's literally like my worst nightmare, Matt. Like, I don't like that. You're having to start over. You're having to meet new people. You're having to like, you know, reintroduce yourself, reprove yourself. But because I've kind of had to go through that and like knock on wood have actually been relatively successful. It has now like kind of stripped the fear of the unknown. Mm. So like almost be excited about it. Because I'm like, dude, I've done this like three or four times. I've, I've changed the job. I'm going into something that I don't know. I've done it. So like, let's just get excited that you're, you know, on a new journey. So I would say in terms of, you know, getting my feet wet into something brand new, there's, you know, a couple of things that I like to do. Um, obviously get to know the people that you're going to be working with on a personal and professional level. Like, I want to know, do you have kids? Do you like cats? Do you like concerts? I want to know you as a person, what you're doing on the weekends, which I think is just as important as like, what are you doing on the weekdays? Because you can't separate the two. So get, get to know your team and then get to know like what's important on that team. You know, what has the team done well in the past? And obviously that's not something that you necessarily need to spend a lot of time on. You just need to make sure that that boat kind of keeps moving. But what I like to do once I feel like I have a good understanding is, okay, well, what can I do to improve the team? What, what have been some items that maybe the team just hasn't been structured to work on, um, or maybe it's stuff that they've done, but they haven't been able to successfully do. And I see if that lines up with any of the strengths that I'm bringing from previous roles. So I would say, you know, get to know the people and get to know the processes. Those are kind of the two, the two biggest things. And then, and probably a third is don't be afraid to ask questions. And that is like, regardless of your job, regardless of your life, that has like been such a game changer for me because I know anytime I ask what I'm deeming like a dumb question in the meeting, I know there's like six other people that are just too intimidated to ask. And like, that's not me. I'll raise my hand and be like, Hey, I know you said two plus two is four, but can we like walk through that one more time? Like it's just, it seems like I thought it was three, but like, can we walk through this? And like, there may be a couple of people that are like, come on girl. But I know that Joe in the back was like checking his email and he missed it and he wants to know too. So I think being somewhere new, I, I'm not intimidated at all to be like, yeah, they probably think I should know this, but I don't. And so I'm not going to fake it. I'm going to be like, hey. Darun, walk me through this one more time because it's not making sense. I know we just went through it last week, but I have like a gap in my notes. Walk me through this. And I think kind of being able to like push my ego aside and yeah, I don't know all this stuff and no one's expecting me to know. Like they, you know, there's a grace period as you get in and taking the pressure of like, you don't have to know everything day one mm -hmm. um, and ask the questions. I think that's helped with the transition coupled with 
I've had to do a transition way more frequently than I would have liked, but that's built up kind of armor with my mm-hmm. confidence. And like, now I can do anything. Like if you called me tomorrow and say, Jamie, I need you to go fly a fighter plane overseas. I'd be like, cool. I don't know what I'm doing, but like I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> and five or six years ago, I just would have been like, no, that's not interested to me. It's too scary. That sounds like confidence to me. Like yeah. you're confident that you'll figure it out. Like you don't know what it is, but you're yeah. you're confident in your ability to sort things out, figure out what you need to do and mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. to it. But your your point about asking questions is huge. I mean, yesterday saved me a thousand dollars on a contractor. Ooh. What happened? Just for like home stuff. Okay. We got the bill at the end of all this work and I go through, you know, all the line items. I'm like, hey, what's that right there? And because I, I just didn't know what it was. It was yeah. they were doing some and then he described it and I was like, You guys didn't do that. <laughs> oh okay and i found a few other little things but yeah asking questions yeah and like some people would be intimidated or you know well you know i I should know all this and then you just kind of roll with it i've never been like asked a question and like have my hands slapped which i think some people are like i don't want to look bad or you know i don't want to look stupid and i'm just i'm like i passed all that like I'm, i'm too old that like ego part of me has left the building and that has been like so freeing. My nine-year-old, I'm always trying to be like teaching her what I'm learning now mm-hmm. so that she doesn't have to maybe make some of the same mistakes, but she's like, I already know everything. Yeah. So we you know we're going to work on that. We're going to work on that. But yeah, I mean, when in doubt, ask the question. I feel like that, that's huge. With kids, because I'm trying to do the same thing. We're trying to do the same thing with our kids and we want them to be critical thinkers. We want them to question everything. Yeah. But when you're the parent and they question you every now and then, it's like, oh, okay, I didn't like that. But yeah, that was a good, good thing that you it's did. It's good though. It's good though. <laughs> and, I, and I think it shows, like, because sometimes they'll ask me and I'm like, I have absolutely no idea. And I think it's showing like, yeah, just because you're an adult, you don't know everything. And I think there's that stigma, especially with kids that like, okay, just because you're an adult, they know everything. And no, Julia, like, I mean, I know a little bit more because I've been around here, but I, I don't know it all. And I'm not going to try to pretend like I do. Like, we'll figure it out together, you know, yeah. or we'll ask Alexa. Because, you know, Alexa knows everything. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I think, yeah, just ask questions. It's so simple. But I think if just an ego thing, if you can put your ego aside and you're not scared to ask questions two, three, four, five, six, seven times. And I, I always say that too. When I'm training somebody new or I have somebody new on my team, I really try to show them that I'm doing that and encourage them because then it just makes the communication so much better. Because if they're stuck on something and they don't want to ask and then they spend two days working on something, that they thought or, you know, were too scared to get clarification on and it's wrong. It's like, hey, like nobody's winning from that. I, I would just try to be open and say like, there are no dumb questions because I ask a hundred dumb questions all the time. And, you know, that's just part of life and just, you got to own it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like there are dumb questions, but I don't care about like them. Like, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. I think a question is bad if it's not useful. Like yeah, if, fair. if it's intended fair. to, I don't know, show somebody up or be a gotcha or like, yeah. Thing like that. Because yes, that, yes, that's the yes. thing with asking questions, especially in like a work setting, is I feel like it depends on the culture a lot. Yeah, that's true. And like the ego of the boss, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if you ask a question that is good and, you know, half the room doesn't know the answer and the person you ask it to is like, fuck you, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like there's probably not going to be a lot of questions asked yeah. in that yeah. kind of team. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, obviously it's going to vary from team to team. So I'm stepping into my new role. And it's, it's a conventional team um, versus, you know, unconventional. And so it's these really senior technical, I mean, geniuses, for lack of a better word. They've been on the team for 10 plus years. 
So, I mean, I was very open and honest when I came in the team. I had some conventional experience, but like, I'm not walking in thinking I can do y'all's job, nor do I want to. I'm here to figure out how can we make things more efficient? How can we maybe get some stuff off your plate that maybe we don't need to? How can I make your job easier? Because I can't do your job. I'm not trying to do your job. And I think that also helps too with them knowing that, okay, so she's not, she's not coming in thinking she like has it all under the sun and is going to try to step on me. I'm like, no, y'all are here for a reason. You're great at what you're doing. I'm just here to help y'all in whatever kind of appropriate capacity that means. Because there's always going to be someone smarter in the room and like own it. That's, that's okay. Everyone is bringing different strengths and different topics to the room and, and own that and find your strength and advertise that strength. And, you know, we're, we're all on the same team. If you can own that and recognize it and it's not in a competitive environment, then I think the questions are going to come and, and you're just going to get a better work product because those egos have then been put aside because you're not in an arm wrestling competition from who's, who's the best because everybody's bringing something different and that's how it should be. I think like what you're talking about sounds to me like a really strong balance of what we talked about earlier, like confidence and humility. Yeah. So being yeah. both confident and humble kind yeah. of in the right way at the same time, because I feel like that's something that especially early career managers, like when you mm -hmm. get your first manager job, you're like, I need to look confident. Yeah. And so you, you're afraid to like not know mm -hmm. stuff and to yeah. ask questions and a lot of those things. And did you go through anything like that? And and if so, like, how did you get, how did I you mean, find this balance of, of confidence and humility? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, so my first manager role, let's just like just take a number, but let's say it was like five or six years ago. And it was very intimidating on multiple levels. I had been like a reservoir engineer for 10 years and they had a manager role open in our asset planning. And for people that don't know what that is, you're, you're basically the human calculator, if you will. You're doing cash flow projections, you're doing production projections, you know, operating expense projections. It's a very important role because that ultimately gets rolled up and, and you're, you're looking at the health of the enterprise. And so I was asked to do not only like a first management role where I'd never managed anything, but it was also like managing something like I had never done before. So I think just because I'm a realist, I was like, I can't come in and act like I know everything just because it was never going to be that right approach. So I, I remember I had a one-on-one -on -one with everybody and I said, here are the strengths that I'm going to be bringing to the team. Here are the stuff that I'm going to need your help with. I hear Matt, you're really good at XYZ. You're going to be my guy on that. I'm going to be going to you for this. And you know, if that's not true, let me know. But I'm going to be relying on you to help support me with this. So that first gig that I did, and I, and I try to do it for every role, but I kind of like stalked everybody, right? Okay, Matt's good at this. Jenny's good at this. Tara's good at this. And I really kind of had a one-on-one -on -one with them be like, hey, I'm going to be open and honest with you, Matt. I'm not good at project A, but project A is really important. So like, you're going to be my guy and I want to help you with whatever I can. So help me help you. Like, what can I do to make sure project A gets good? But I think it never even crossed my mind to come in like all hot and heavy because I would have fallen like flat on my face. I was just too realistic. I wasn't, you know, sure how to be the best manager. I wasn't really sure what the job even was. I mean, I actually had to interview for two replacements my first weekend, they needed two new team members that were going to report to me. Full disclosure, I had two really incredible candidates. Their kind of execution worth was like top notch. And one of them just seemed maybe a little bit kinder, more humble, a little bit nicer of a person. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go with you. So this is going to build a, a better team environment. And he's gone on to flourish and I'm so proud of him, but he kind of had come from an IT background. It was mm -hmm. going to be a lot of learning for him. 
and he's just crushed it. I think kind of being humble and nice, Matt, is like, for whatever reason, frowned upon because, you know, you need to have the big chest and you need to be like, I'm the best of the best. And I'm just like, I don't know. I'd rather just like be nice, all work together. I think that's going to get a better product. And like, for me, that's work. Just being like, I'm good at this. You're good at this. Sally's good at this. Let's all do it together. Instead of just being like, I'm going to do it all guys because I got it. I'm just like, that's not going to work for anybody. But yeah, I think just being as humble as you can and, and owning at the same time what you're good at. Like, don't be afraid to be like, hey, I'm really good at this. And this is, this is where I can excel. But in the same breath, be like, hey, I have no idea, you know, what I'm doing with XYZ. I'm going to need some help on that. So I think yeah. kind of getting to know your team's strengths and going in and saying, hey, I'm going to lean on you for this. And you're going to be my go-to, you know, man or woman for this kind of day one, really set the tone that like, I'm valuing what they're good at. I'm not trying to change it. I'm just trying to say, hey, what can I do to make things easier for y'all? Or what, what are some inefficiencies that I can look at to see, you know, can we stop doing some of these reports or can we make this a spot for our tool so it can get done quicker? So I think just getting to know the team and the dynamic is the best kind of day one thing you can do because that sets you up for success. You have the skeleton of the team. And then you can kind of just take it from there. Let's go back. I want to hear more like your pre-marathon, pre-family story. Like, how did you get to that point? Where'd you grow up? Like, where'd yeah, you go to school? Yeah. That kind of okay. Stuff. Okay. Well, I mean, I just graduated from college. So, so <laughs> I grew up in Cypress, Cypress, Texas, just, you know, Northwest Houston, kind of humble, unbreaking. Uh, my mom was a teacher. My dad worked for the post office. I think I just mentioned. And so really didn't know what I wanted to do kind of when I, when I grew up, I, I honestly know that's not true. So my mom worked in a school system and I was like, I have no interest in that. Those teachers work so hard and have to deal with some real craziness. So I was able to like at least scratch that one off the list. So I went to Cypher High School, Bobcat Fight Never Dies, the Bobcat was on the drill team, super social, really kind of excelled in school without having to try much. Fast forward, got into UT engineering. And that was kind of driven by talking to my best friend's dad. He had gone to UT and I really had kind of heard a little bit about what he had done for work. And it seemed interesting when I was trying to pick what major I wanted to do. Anyways, long story short, went chemical engineering and I went from like high school where like I really didn't have to try, crushed it to like you're at UT and it's like you're in a sea of just like really, really, really smart people. I mean, talk mm -hmm. about an ego check. Like I used to just be like, oh, I'm going to study for like 10 minutes and get an A on my calculus to being like, I was like in the library, like all college math. People think of like fond memories in college. I like shudder when I see like an organic chemistry, like textbook. So college is like an authentic struggle for me. I think that's probably where some like my humbleness comes from. It's like, mm -hmm. because I went from being top 10 or 11% to like struggling to get like, you know, Bs and hopefully like an A here and there. So pursued the chemical engineering route. I actually interned for like a lot of different companies and didn't really kind of find the one that stuck. I worked for TCEQ, Texas Commission of Environmental Quality. Not to be a hater, it was a little bland for me. I just couldn't see myself doing that, you know, all day, every day. I worked for a company called Lubrizol, which is out in Deer Park, where I was in like FRCs, hard hot, get my hands dirty every day. And again, I was like, well, I do like my, my nails and my hair and my manicure. So I don't know if that's going to be for me. <laughs> And then one of my besties had interned at Marathon and I fell in love with the oil and gas side for the reason that it, it's a little bit creative in the sense of chemical engineering. When I studied it, it was very like black and white. It's like one plus one is two and there's no debating that. Whereas when you're in the petroleum world, there is a little bit of like artistic value. I mean, there is some 
you know, ranges that you can put into inputs that are ultimately going to affect the output. And I like the idea of like being creative and not always having like a right or wrong path. And so I interned for Marathon and then I, I hired on with them right out of, right out of school. I remember all my friends are running around the campus, sweating in their black suits, trying to hustle, get to the next meeting. And I'm just like sitting at the pool, drinking a Diet Coke. And then lo and behold, showed up in Marathon in, in 2008. And it has been an incredible journey. I mean, we, we can speak on that later, but I just hit my 15 year anniversary, work anniversary, wedding anniversary, all, all those. And it's crazy how time has flown. And I'm just really proud of the career that I've had kind of up until then. The 08 must've been a big year for you. Big year. I just was like, let's just get it all done. Start a job, get married, all that good stuff. But you know, I was a planner. I, I kind of did it all, all on purpose, right? You know how that goes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You said some very interesting stuff. So. Okay. What you got? I'm ready for you. The first one, you like the idea of oil and gas because of the aspect of creativity mm -hmm. and there's not being a right or wrong answer. Mm -hmm. um, like playing that off of, you know, you being a planner, type A, mm -hmm. like how does, how does that ambiguity and uncertainty, like what about that gives you that kind of energy? I think it's just like, it allows me to be like risky without like mm -hmm. actually like taking risks, right? I mean, okay. it's a controlled environment. <laughs> you know, the, the risks aren't going to have like huge implications if your porosity is 10% or 11%. I just like, it didn't have to be 10% and it didn't have to be 11%. Mm -hmm. And the, and the fact that, you know, you turn some knobs and, oh my gosh, there's, you know, really a huge impact. Does that make sense? And you go back and you turn it down a little bit. Okay. This, this makes more sense. I like the idea of you could get to the answer multiple ways. And so it kind of made it like a little bit more almost like a detective, right? You don't have all the answers in front of you. And I think in contrast, chemical engineering, like all I had was like flashcards, right? It's like this molecule plus this molecule equals this compound. It was a lot of memorization for me and it was fun. It was challenging. I wouldn't change anything about it. It really helped me become like a really solid problem solver, but I was looking for something like a little bit more romantic. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a formula you need to follow, but there's some gray to it and, and there's some flexibility, but it wasn't anything crazy. Like I still felt like it was like within a pseudo controlled environment, yeah. but it allowed me to be like a little, a little kooky, a little crazy without <laughs> kind of getting like too over the top. Yeah. And I would imagine that, like you said, high school was, was super easy. Yeah. So, and I, and obviously you're, you're smart. And so having something that's too prescriptive without like judgment calls in it yeah, could yeah. Would probably feel pretty boring. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm definitely that way. Like if, if it's too clear and it's just like executing a thing that's already predetermined and there's no mm -hmm. decisions along the way, mm -hmm. like I really get bored. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not as fun. It's already kind of planned out for you to like a certain extent. And I, I mean, I still like the project to have like a start, middle and finish where you know where you're headed. Like, don't get me wrong. I like some yep. structure but I want to be able to kind of weave in and out as much as I want to. Yeah, that's cool. What did you say your dad did for work? Uh, post office. So okay. he didn't ever actually like deliver mail, get bit by the dog, you know, wear short shorts and, you know, carry the mail bag. I think he honestly was like working with his hands, kind of organizing and, you know, kind of moving stuff from bend to bend because he started college, but was paying for it by himself and just felt like that wasn't something that he was going to be able to continue to do. So dropped out of college went straight to the post office and I, I'm going to get it wrong, but I think he worked there for 40 years and then, you know, retired at a relatively young age. I mean, he was in his like late fifties, I want to say early sixties and, and now is, you know, living a really nice 
government kind of pension and mm-hmm. and doing it right. I mean, definitely like worked hard. I mean, I remember like Christmases and Thanksgivings, you would get like double overtime or, you know, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And he would totally take it. And I didn't even realize until like I was a little older, like that that wasn't necessarily like the norm. I'm like, oh, wait, like your dad's like always there for, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff. But looking back on it, like I know he much would have rather have been with us spending time with the family, but we needed the additional income. And so we would just, just because it's the 25th, that doesn't have to be Christmas. So we could do Christmas the the day before or the day after. So like, I wasn't like sitting home alone on Christmas, like crying. Like it was a lovely childhood. (laughs) Um, But I think from an early age, I saw just good work ethic. Like my dad was there to like get stuff done. And he, and he actually loved it. He always had such a good time. He would tell me about his friends. And I think they always had like music playing and he loved 97.9 The Box, which is like a radio station that's like still around. And as hard as he worked, he still found like fun in it. And I think that's always kind of been the bar that I've set kind of going mm-hmm. forward. Like, I know I'm going to work hard. Like, that's just, that's life. But where can I find like some fun in some stuff? Um, I was off on vacation and one of my direct reports stepped in and really did like a, like a solid for me. So I got him this really fun board game that his daughter is close to my daughter's age and got that to him as like a little thank you. And like, Putting like a little bit of fun in work when you can, right? It's, I think that just makes it so much more fun. So yeah, I think my dad really just set that example of work hard, but like find the good in it. Like, yeah, I'm working, you know, more hours than maybe like the normal Joe is, but I'm finding fun and joy like where I can. So, cause I feel like a lot of people haven't been able to like seek out that joy. And he kind of showed me the path that it's important and it helps mental health and physical health. If you can, you know, come home and have a funny story to tell from work, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I think there is a pretty antiquated mindset a lot of people have that work is serious and, you know, it's, it's business time Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, I mean, obviously everybody's different, but like I work better when we're having fun. Like I want to make some stupid jokes and like if somebody screws up their PowerPoint or something, I want us all to laugh at them together and it'd be cool. (laughs) Like we just move on. And yeah, um, absolutely. Cause I, I think most of the the soul sucking nature of work comes when people just aren't acting human. Yeah. They like put on this robot businessman yeah. face or yeah. something that they, yeah. that they think yeah. they're, they're supposed to have and they get political and they're not open and they don't ask those questions, yeah. like all that kind of stuff yeah. is, is gnarly. And you know, like that's not fun for them and it's certainly not fun to kind of be around. So I just think that they're missing out those people that can't cut a rug or make a joke here and there because it just it just lightens the environment and encourages I think just to kind of be more yourself and you know like you said you're more comfortable to ask kind of the silly questions and then I, I have fun like I, I come home at least once a week and be like you will never guess the story that Gerard told me I mean <laughs> and, and that's fun I, I mean I, I love that part about my job yeah that's awesome and what I thought was interesting also is teacher and and post office those are both very like service oriented jobs and like very I don't want to say like self-sacrificial, but to an extent, especially being a teacher, especially the way schools are funded. But I wonder if that's where you drew some of your humility from also, because if high school's easy, you have fun, you go do all this stuff. It's really easy for you to be overconfident and end up cocky and, and mm-hmm. things like that. But it sounds like your parents might've, might've helped you out there. Yeah. Are we, is this like Matt? The therapy question? I had no idea that know. we were going to, I'm impressed. You may, you may have a new calling, Matt. You may have a new calling. <laughs> no, I, I think that's totally right. I mean, I never really kind of thought of it on, on that path, but yeah, I mean, I think 
just the skills and the personality type you have to do to kind of pursue those jobs that you mentioned, that kind of comes with the territory. I never kind of, you know, put those dots together. I think kind of seeing those examples that they had set for me allowed me to know that like, it's okay not to be the best at everything. Like find what you're good at and rock that out and then ask for help on the other things. And then that's how you get a good core group around you. And no, I'm not trying to do therapy. I'm just like, I don't I know. Like I just it. find this stuff I like, like fascinating. Send me the bill. Send me the bill later, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's what's cool about hearing the full story and drawing the connections. Like, oh, yeah. it seemed like you were kind of like naturally hardworking and also humble and like pretty practical about things. Like, mm -hmm. how does that happen? Like, where does that come from? That's true. Um, yeah. So you, you talked about your, your dad with missing out on some holidays and it doesn't sound like that was the hallmark movie that some people might imagine yes yeah. <laughs> all tragic but like let's talk about like boundaries around around work because you're obviously somebody that's done very well in your career like you've made it to positions where most people that i've met that are in positions at your level are workaholics sure. and that's like fair. it consumes their life yeah. um so how do you think about boundaries how do you think about effort versus like, yeah. yeah. How do you think yeah, about no, all that? I get, I get what you're saying. And I think as you get more comfortable with yourself, I think that that process also gets better. So that's kind of like disclaimer. So the stuff I'm saying right now has not always been, you know, how, how I have been, but I would think some of the tips and tricks that I have picked up on kind of being at the level that I'm at, there's a couple of things that I think kind of help. The first being, let's say you have 10 items on your to-do list for one day. You're not going to get all 10 done. That's probably just not going to happen. So it's very imperative that you're clear on what your boss values of importance, right? Because five of those may be like nice to have. Three of those are like a non-negotiable if you don't get those done. And two, maybe like he forgot he even asked you about them because they've been there for last month. So something that I always do is I have a 7.30 check-in with my boss every Monday and I go over what I'm going to be focusing on, what my team is going to be focusing on. And I openly acknowledge we're not doing this right now, but we are doing this. And, and I think it's imperative to be focusing on what's important. And I know like that sounds weird, but not all of it's important, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? Just because someone's asked you to do something, you need to be very clear on when do you need it and kind of what level do you need it, right? Do you need 80-20? Is it going to a set of board of director slides? So like everything has to be pristine. So being just very clear with the priority of a project, what is the actual ask and when is kind of the drop dead deadline, I think has really, really helped me kind of set up the week. So, you know, I meet with my boss at 7.30 and then from that, I have my check-ins with my direct reports after that. So, you know, kind of the first half of the day is just, setting up the week for success, right? Okay, are you going to be on vacation? Okay, well, so we need to make sure that we get this done. So that means that maybe this is going to fall by the wayside, but I know that's okay because I talked to my boss and she was good if that got pushed to the end of June. So it's probably like a little bit of work up front, Matt, but it has really helped in getting to leave on time because I know that my boss wanted these three things done today. And I got three done. Yeah, there's two more that I need to get done this week, but I still have three more days to get it done. So I think understanding what the management expectations are for the projects, making sure, hey, do you still need this? We talked about this two weeks ago. I hadn't really heard anything. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. You can scratch it off their list. Jerry had some report from last year and it's kind of close enough. So 
kind of checking in before you start something from scratch. Do you still need this is one of the biggest time-saving questions that, yeah. especially in big companies that people should yeah. ask like all the yeah. time. And it's easy. Like it's a very easy, like yes or no, or suggest multiple paths. So like we need product A and I could be like, hey, well, we have A that was done six months ago and I like 80% of the answer, or we can give you a new A, but it's going to take X number of man hours and this is going to get delayed. And I, I don't have the answer, but I'm going to give that to my boss and based on what she's going to be using it for she can help guide me. And so I think it's just really getting clear expectations on, you know, the priority of the project, definitions around the project and absolute deadline. Part of that is saying no and, you know, yeah. hey, can I get this? And, and, and it made me not be like a flat out no, because I hate it when people are like, just say no. Because yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It's just not right now. Like, yeah, Matt, I can get you that report, but it's going to be Wednesday after lunch because I have a doctor's appointment in the morning. And they're like, oh, okay, like, that's fine. Or they're going to be like, no, absolutely. And I'll be like, okay, well, let me call Sharon and, and see if she can get it for you. So I think it's spending a little bit of time up right at the beginning of the week and really kind of like scheduling it out, prioritizing. I have, I have a little calendar that I send out to my team every Monday with like the two-week forecast. And I'm like, hey, guys, let me know if it's stuff moving around because, you know, it's kind of a knock-on effect. I think taking that kind of time on Monday to like reflect and get organized help when you're in the office or, you know, even when you're working from home, spending time on what matters. So then that mm -hmm. helps by default, you know, work-life balance, because at the end of the day, I didn't get maybe number eight and nine done, but I talked to my boss on Monday and that wasn't a burning passion of hers. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to do that next week. So if it's four o'clock and my daughter has gymnastics, I'm going to go and I'm not going to feel bad because I got her the three that she needed to kind of continue on. I'm hearing, I think a lot of people talk about like prioritization and, and confirming with your boss, like what order you need to do things. But I think what you're talking about is a little different in that you've gone so far as to define what is enough. Yeah. Right. So you know, what's critical, you know, what's nice to have like that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And because I think, I think that's the piece that people miss yeah. is that they don't know when to stop. Like they yeah. have the list and they have it prioritized, but once mm -hmm. you finish three, then they just assume that number four is just as important as the first three were at the time. And so they just, it just Go never stops. Yeah. And there's an acceptance of there's always going to be more stuff to do oh, yeah. than there is time yeah. to do it. And yeah. I think people fight that a bit. Uh huh. And I, I really saw those traits in me or those, those skills in me happen when I was in the asset planning, because you would literally have, okay, so like to build a forecast and intersight. There's, I can't even count, 10,000 inputs you need. I'm probably being dramatic, but there, there's an insane amount of inputs that, that ultimately need to get populated and then run. And then you need to do some sort of analysis to see if, you know, the results make sense. And sometimes you'd have to like push back with people and they're like, hey, we want to change something. And I would have to make the judgment call and say like, this isn't going to be critical to like the end result. So yeah. we're, we're not going to make that change. And I think kind of pushing back and, and understanding and, you know, making that decision call that like maybe 80% is close enough, you'll still get the answer. It just isn't to the nth degree, but the team is still going to be able to make an educated decision. And so, yeah, when I came into that planning role, I was like overwhelmed to be like, we have to change like a thousand different inputs and like understand all of this stuff. And you have to take a step back after a while you figure out, okay, well only really like these 20 make a huge difference. Right. So I'm not even going to take changes for these other inputs but twice a year instead of three or four times a year. Um, yeah. So I think being in that role where there's like a hundred different moving parts and I definitely worked way too much kind of my first couple cycles. I like sat down with myself and I was like, okay, something's not working. 
we're not doing this to the best of our abilities. And I kind of sat with my team and we worked kind of through a process to say, we're not going to make these changes every time. And if someone comes to you with a change and it's, you know, a certain percentage, we're not going to do that. And at the end of the day, it's not hurting the work product. It's giving you more time to finish it, analyze the results and, and see if it makes sense versus like doing all the changes and then like, 10 minutes before the presentation you're sending it, and you're like, well, I, I hope this is right. That kind of forced some of the skills I have now after being over a team that is having to make a lot of dynamic changes and in an economics model like that. You mentioned your daughter's gymnastics. Are there mm -hmm. other boundaries that you put up that are non-negotiable? With my new role, I, I sent a note out to everyone and said, hey, um, I get to work early. I get there at 630. And so I don't see Julia before she wakes up. So because of that, like I want to leave at like four or 430 and do that nine times out of 10. Now that doesn't always mean that like a couple of times a week, I'm not logging on and like, you know, checking something. That doesn't mean I'm gone. I just wanted to be very clear that when it's like four or 430 and there's not a fire, I'm not going to sit there just to like show that like I'm there. Cause I think, yeah. and I think, I think COVID helped with that. I think knowing and proving to like the greater good that you don't have to be in your office chair to be getting stuff done. I think that's more palatable. So I'm not this, you know, amazing person, but you know, I said it, no, these are my hours. I work from home on these days. Here's my cell phone number. But like when it's four or thirty, like I'm out, but I'm, you know, responsive. Like if it's something that's urgent, don't hesitate to call me. And I think kind of being transparent with that and kind of stating it up front instead of maybe for the first, you know, couple months staying late just to like show off. Then you have mm. to like tear off the band-aid later and then it just makes it kind of awkward. So I think just kind of being upfront, like, you know, this is what's going to come with me and I'm going to get a lot done in the time I'm there. And if there are the times I need to log on after I've left, that's not a problem. But, you know, when it hits 4.30, I'm in my car listening to my podcast because Jules <laughs> has soccer or gymnastics or something like that. And, and that, that time's not going to, always be there when I'm able to kind of drive her and, and be present for her for her practices. And mm. believe it or not, I mean, I've been surprised. And maybe you just have to have a good track record, possibly, for that to be okay. But I've never had any pushback or like, you know, we expect you to be there or, you know, you're not setting a good example or anything. Like Maribel has been really understanding. Like, yeah, like we mm. get that. And, you know, you're getting your work done. Like, that's not a problem. I mean, it's still like intimidating kind of every time I send out like the first email where I'm like, hey, I, I'm a four o'clock girl. Like, you know, love me or hate me. And I'm the same way with like my team, like get your work done. And if you need to leave at two o'clock because you have a dentist appointment, like that's fine. Like I, I'm not like yeah. sweating that. But I do think probably COVID had a lot to kind of help with that because we've, we've now proven that we can work anywhere. Like when Julia's at the dentist, I can easily pop over my laptop and look at a report if I have to. Like the earth's yeah. not going to stop spinning. Well, COVID screwed things up and for a lot of, especially middle managers, okay, because okay. it showed how poorly of a job they do of actually understanding the work product and the output of their teams. And so yeah, yeah. like they really relied on physical presence and hours in the office to hope that things were getting done because I know quite a few people and that's why people ended up spending all their time on teams in meetings okay. to yeah. confirm that people were working and like all the software to like monitor people oh, and yeah. that stuff gets gnarly. Um, yeah. but I do think that it's happening already, but the future of work is about output and yeah. not time spent. Some jobs you can't do that. One thing that we talked about was like working smarter and not harder. And obviously mm -hmm. prioritization is a huge part mm -hmm. of that. Leveraging your team, knowing what you're good at versus mm -hmm. what other people are good at and, and mm -hmm. like organizing that properly is a big part of it. What else? 
like my trusty calendar, right? So like I look at it every Monday. Okay, let's say something's due at the end of July. And I know there's going to be like 10 different pieces that like need to happen before then and now. I backtrack, schedule when all these pieces need to get done, who's in charge of them. Back from my planning days, I leave a little wiggle room because like something like always goes awry on on kind of the 10 things leading up to that. And then I just kind of check in and it and it's not like a micromanaging thing. It's just like, hey, Matt, I see that you have XYZ due on Wednesday. Are we still on track with that? Or is there something like I can do to help make sure that that happens? And I think being able to like step back and say, yeah, okay, it's not due till July or, you know, August, you can easily just like kind of hope all the puzzle pieces are, are, are going. But, you know, if you have a larger team and they're remote, I think it's good to have not crazy micromanaged deadlines, but milestones as appropriate mm-hmm. to like lead up to the project so that you can early on see if like something's starting to drift, right? Like, okay, well, if milestone one drift, well, just because I'm crazy, I already have a bit of slack in, so we're okay. But let's say it's two weeks out for the presentation and we're really off base. I may call the admin and say, hey, like, I don't know if this presentation is going to be ready. Is there any flexibility to push it a week? And I'm not calling her like the night before. So, I mean, it's not anything fancy, but it's really just taking a step back and and digesting a project into multiple pieces Mm -hmm. and being clear that Matt's doing this. I'd like to do on Wednesday. And I'm not constantly checking in, but when it's like, you know, a day or two before, hey, Matt, how's it going? Is there anything I can do to help you make sure that it gets done? That's kind of really helped me be successful because then you can like visually see it. You can pull up in the Excel calendar and say, okay, I have two weeks and somebody on my team be like, well, that's not going to work because I'm out on vacation that week. Okay, well, like that's why we're talking about it now. So we can shift everything back to make sure that Dan can go to Florida. And then I think it also helps foster and them know that like I'm respecting like their vacation time. I don't want them working on vacation. So when we were scheduling out the business plan, Dan... I think he's going to somewhere cool on the beach. We shifted everything back two weeks so that we can make sure that he was done. But I think if I had waited and like kind of let the scope creep or excuse me, like the project deadlines creep, we would have been in a pickle because we didn't think ahead enough time that Dan was going to be out for those two weeks. We would have counted those as two weeks of Dan working. So I think kind of trying to take a step back on a project and break it into smaller pieces and get like a few milestones has also been really helpful in everybody's clear on what they need to do. I don't need to micromanage you. And then that way, if something slips, we can instantly see the impact. Okay, well, no, Jamie had a couple extra days in there. We're fine. Or like, oh, shit. No, like we got to we got to call somebody and maybe get get something moved. Um, But I also think that that allows my team to know that like I value their time away from the office. I want them to be gone and I don't I don't want to call them like I want them to enjoy it because like I want to do the same. So I think that part has been helpful too, just like the overarching kind of project management piece. Dan's got to go to Florida. Dan's got to go to Florida, man. I want him to go to Florida. <laughs> I want him to get a suntan. I want him to drink some pina coladas. I don't want him to think about anything work-related. So he comes back refreshed and kind of wants to hit the ground running when, when he's back. That's such a good example of how doing a good job at work can allow you to just be happy. To, to experience a vacation without that stress, without all of that other stuff. It's all linked. And I think even more meta than the stuff that we've been talking about, there's a there's just a clarity of thought that goes into prioritizing and defining what things are, project management. So cause and effect and deadlines and, and how do these pieces interact and sorting all that stuff out. And 
I think that clarity of thought is something that you notice when it's not there, yeah. especially like you talk to a leader of a team or a company or something and there's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we all go through times like that where yeah. we just, we don't have our shit together and yeah. that's the way it goes. What do you think drives that ability for you? And like, how do you think that skill is built or like yeah. cultivate it to where you can think clearly, understand what's going on and make good decisions? I mean, I think it goes probably all the way back to college where you just had to learn how to solve a problem, mm-hmm. elementary style. Like what are the approaches to solving problems, you know, being chemical engineering, you're solving like, you know, really complex organic chemistry stuff. So I think that helped make me realize, okay, I'm good at problem solving. And then I think it was like a skill that I probably didn't even know I was lacking until I got into this kind of planning world where I went through kind of a first budget cycle. So it's like three months, you're working on a lot of stuff. You know, at the end of the three months, this is due. And I just kind of was like, oh yeah, like this is probably all going to come together. And like, I ended up missing like one of Julia's like Disney on ice. And I was up at like three o'clock in the morning trying to balance reserves. And I was like, I knew six months ago that this was going to be due. This deadline is not a surprise to anybody. And I think that was just like a really big wake up call that you know what you need to get done. And you know, at the end when it needs to happen, so why not break it into kind of like smaller, smaller projects? So I would think it almost came out of like a, a need to survive because those, those first couple months, there's burnout. I was like, I don't think I can do this for much mm-hmm. longer. But then after I implemented kind of the more project managing, breaking into bite sizes, giving wiggle room when, you know, like a certain input due and there's usually like iterations with that team because there's errors or there's changes allowing for a little bit more breathing room. It went from a job that I was like, oh. To like, oh my God, this is like one of the most amazing jobs in the world because I had time to sit back and, and really think. And then I could guide management saying, hey, we were able to run some sensitivities. And if you can do this with your OPEX, like look at your cash flow. And we had even enough time to then optimize. But yeah, I mean, I think it just came out of like survival because I was like mm. after a couple of these and I was like three o'clock in the morning and I was trying to balance gas reserves. I like literally <laughs> was like, how is this my life? Like I remember I was like in my pajamas for like three days eating old hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is no one should, no one should live like this. And I was like, enough, enough. So, I mean, I definitely didn't get it right on the first time, but kind of after, you know, each cycle, I would always sit down with my immediate team and say what worked, what didn't. I would sit down with the people that gave me inputs and say what worked and what didn't. And then every cycle got better to the point where I was in planning working a 40 hour week, which was like unheard of. Like that just didn't usually happen. But it almost took like being in the trenches of like this kind of sucks. Yeah. To realize something needed to change. But like all that, all that pain is self-inflicted by the company, right? Yeah. And reserves is the perfect example. Like the deadline's the same. Yeah. You know it and, for years. You and know it's it just years. like when I do my taxes, like if, mm-hmm. if I'm stressed out the week before my taxes are due, that's my fault. Like a hundred percent, hundred percent. the government didn't move the deadline up or nope. anything. No, nope. same time, same time every year. I totally agree. And it's it's just knowing that you need to, without going like overboard, like iron out the details, give some flexibility and it should come together a lot more smooth when you're, you know, eating little bites and like trying to, you know, swallow the whole steak at once the day before you got to do it. And I've taken that mindset with me to all of my management roles and it's really helped. I mean, I'm kind of nicknamed like the calendar girl. 
but I really think it's just because like people are jealous because I'm organized <laughs> and whatnot. But yeah, I, I don't go anywhere without my calendar and it just makes life easier. Like you, you need to adjust, you know, a piece of it and you can kind of see the long-term effects and hopefully it's okay. And if not, you, you can make a judgment call earlier rather than kind of scribbling last minute and, and, you know, not delivering the best result you can. What about, cause I, I think there's the skill of doing that planning and the project management and problem solving. But then there's also like the energy that you have to have to do it every day mm -hmm. and to be thinking clearly about the whole concept and everything. And I know that you hate journaling and everybody that does it, but. <laughs> I won't tell all my secrets, Matt. <laughs> no, but what habits like do you have personally that you think help you have energy and have the mental clarity for like focus and like no, that clarity of thought. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's helpful. I've really tried to, I'm guilty of if I allowed my mind to do what it wanted, I would think about work like all the time, right? That's not a pleasant thought. Like no one should kind of live that way. So what I've worked to try to find are things that not distract me, but I, I enjoy enough that it like allows me to focus on, focus on other things. So it's, you know, kind of like the concert. Another thing that I, you know, like to do that's not cool or anything, but like reading and I'm not reading anything smart, guys. I'm not going to say like atomic habits or like whatever. I'm reading murder mysteries where people get killed and there's blood, <laughs> but it allows me to like be somewhere different. And I'm, you know, in the story and that very much rejuvenates me. Like I measure my vacations on like how many books like did I get to read? If it's like three, yeah. it was an amazing vacation. If it was one. Well, maybe we were like sightseeing, so that's okay. But I think reading is something that helps recharge me because it forces my brain to be like, you can only think about the page on this book. So mm. it's allowing my like work side to like take a little nap. And then I think, you know, exercise, I probably don't do it as, as much as I should, but I jazzercise, which is not just for 60-year-old ladies. So all you haters out there, I see you laughing. It's cool now, okay? It's Google hilarious. It, 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 it may be cool, but it's also hilarious. Uh -huh. It is. It is. I know. I know. It's, it's, to it's totally, yeah, I'm by far probably one of the youngest there, but it, it's awesome. So I think getting out there, you know, you're out there, you, you know, you're doing your, you know, leg ups and chin ups and like just getting jiggy with it. And you're not thinking about anything else. Really, it's just anything that can kind of take my brain and shift it to full focus on something that, that's uplifting or rejuvenating or exciting. I think that's kind of where I get my joy from. And then like last night, for instance, my daughter and I just did Lego has these flowers now. They're speaking my language. They're freaking gorgeous. Actually, they're right here. I'm going to show it to you. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. How, how dope are those? How dope Lego those? flowers. Yeah. Awesome. Uh -huh. So it's just it. Lego, if you want to sponsor me, I'm your girl. Um, <laughs> but something like that, spending quality time with my daughter, there's no screams involved. We're working on Lego. If you tell me about her day, you know, what her boyfriend's up to, whatever, she's nine. That allows me to be like 100% focused on kind of like non-work stuff. That's recharging me. Mm -hmm. um, and then probably another one is kind of like, you know, a date night with my husband or, you know, a girl's night out at dinner where, you know, we're just kind of letting loose and airing our grievances, airing what's good with the world, airing a new book or a new wine we had, and you're just completely yourself. There's like no expectations of you on anything. That also helps me recharge and recuperate. What about you though, Matt? I know you, you like journaling. That's one of your big ones. What else do you do to kind of recoup and recharge? So I'll answer that in a minute, but I want to, I want to get back to yours. So that last one, cause I, I don't want to lose this idea. Cause okay, like what that, you got? that time of the girls night and spending time with friends, everything besides that, that you mentioned was very much like it's a thing to focus on. 
Yeah, right? that's true. Something else to yeah. focus on. But that one, yeah. even your body language changed a little bit. And yeah. it was like your shoulders dropped. And yeah. like, it's an opening up. That one to me sounds like what I get out of like meditation and journaling. Okay. Where it's open-ended, it's free, it's mm -hmm. I can say whatever the hell I want. And mm -hmm. like, if there's shit going on in my mind, then it has a place to go. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what like journal, and, okay. and I don't journal that much, but like, yeah. that's kind of what that process does for me. That's and like fair. time with friends is the same way. Because what gives me the most energy, I think, is, is that like super open-ended time and yeah. space where okay. I could be writing. So like I'll write little stories for my kids or like oh, that's cool. um, poetry even like oh, fucking, wow. yeah, I don't know. Like romantic playing with poetry that. for your wife? Uh, no, it's super depressing oh. and sad stuff. Actually. Okay. I mean, that's, um, that's basically what I was thinking. That's okay. what okay. poems are supposed to be, right? Not, oh, like kind of Edgar Allan Poe stuff? <laughs> no, but then there's the other side of it that is what you said, where it's, it's something where I cannot focus on anything else. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. I have to focus on that one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, like golf is one for me where it's a little bit Ooh, of both. Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, so, so golf is cool because if you're not 100% focused on the shot that you're taking at the time, you'll fuck uh, it. But oh, okay. if in between there's lots of open space, there's lots of time. If you're thinking about the last shot, then it's going to fuck up the next shot. And so, so it's, okay. so it's a little bit of both. And I like it because your shot gives you immediate feedback on your mental state. Because if you're like over-focused on the wrong detail or thinking mm -hmm. too much, when you're swinging, you'll screw up. Like if you're just in the right amount of space where you've planned everything, you've noticed mm -hmm. the wind, the distance, the slope, the lie, the ball, the weather, like all of that stuff, you have all mm -hmm. that planning and all that stuff that you have to focus on. When you get to the shot, you just have to hit the shot that you've right. planned out. It's all decided. So it's okay. like low. And then if you have to wait 15 minutes because the group in front of you is slow or something, then it's open-ended and you're sitting outside enjoying nature. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So okay, golf well, is maybe, a, maybe it's a, a big one Maybe I'm going to take up golf, Matt. Okay. You're going to be sponsored by, I can't think of a golf brand, Nike, and I'll get, I'll get a Lego sponsor. How's that? Sure. That works. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, go get those deals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. It's funny that you mentioned jazzercise because, so I do... Because I've got my own, I don't, um, but I, I have my own business, right? So mm -hmm. my hours are very flexible. And so I'll go do yoga classes like during the week yeah. and yeah. sometimes the ones, so I lift also, but I'll do like the, the yoga classes that are super, super slow and like okay. stretchy. And the other people that really like those are senior citizens. Oh, well, um, there you go. And so it'll be me and people that are double my age only, yeah. and we're in there just yeah. stretching our low backs. Yeah. And I love important it. important though, Matt. It's like, important. They and get I, it though. And and I love like, part of the reason I love that is I've made friendships with people. This was like getting on topic that I would never out of the normal kind of mode of operation come in contact with these people. I'm like kind of hearing their life stories and how they got where they are and that part is like almost like half the fun is like getting to know these like senior citizens like i mean they're in their like 70s and 80s and it's just you never would have crossed paths with them for an extended amount of time to get to know them so like that part is like cool i'm talking to them so i'm not thinking about what i have to turn in on tuesday or you know are my groceries up to date in my fridge and, and all that kind of stuff it's good just to kind of like meet new people and, and talk new things and i also get kind of a charge off of that too just 
Hmm. sitting around and like hearing people's stories and, you know, what makes them tick. And that's always something good because then you're fully consumed, right? You're hearing the story and, oh, this is how this came to be and yeah. all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. If if you really listen. So I know George Carlin, old comedian, he had a really good quote. He was talking about like in every individual person, you can see the entire universe. And it's really cool because like, if you really pay attention and listen to somebody talk and hear their story and like step into their life, you just see everything. There could be somebody in a totally different situation than you, but you see the same like fears and ambitions and desires yeah. and like yeah. all that stuff. It's really cool. Who have you learned from? Like, who are some people you look up to, mentors, anything like mm -hmm. that? I mean, this is like a spiel. Are you ready for this? I have very passionate feelings about mentorship and, and okay. sponsor. I'll try not to go in full, full soapbox mode. Let it rip. Yeah. Well, I will <laughs> say I attribute not all of my success, but a significant portion and a, a portion of it because of the kind of the sponsors and, and mentors I've had at my career at Marathon and not, not just at Marathon, just, just mentorship in general. I've been, been lucky enough to have kind of, you know, Marathon assigned sponsors and that's kind of on a more formal basis. You can kind of say like, I need help with this project and you can kind of get guidance from that. And I think, you know, from like a surface level, that's, you know, very great and, and tangible, but I'm never one to shy away from like, Hey, I really liked what you've done with your career. Can we have coffee once a month? And that kind of those organic to some degree, even though I'm kind of forcing it to happen, that has been really kind of eye-opening because like we said, you get to hear their story. You get to hear kind of how they came to be. You get to hear, you know, some of the mistakes they made that maybe you can learn from and, and not have to repeat. You can also hear stuff that, you know, hey, this has really helped me in my career, push that through to your career, if that makes sense as well. And a point my girlfriend made the other day, she was on a panel speaking. I didn't realize I had them, but it was interesting is you can have like mentors and like sponsorships outside of the career world. And mm -hmm. I was like, huh, like, you know, do, do I have any of those? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I actually do. And it's some of my like jazzercise ladies, like believe it or not, mm -hmm. bringing it back, bringing it back to jazzercise. And those are like almost more as important, if not more than, than the career ones. I mean, they're the ones that, you know, have had working families with, you know, a mom and dad outside the home and this is what worked for them and this isn't what worked for them. And. I've had, you know, some trials and tribulations when I go start new jobs and I have enough people that I can rely on and talk through and, hey, how should I approach this problem? What would you do? Am I thinking about this right? Having kind of these sounding boards on people that I respect in the sense of like what they've been able to achieve, but also they're like good people and they're good leaders and, and they, they care about their families and they care about their teams. And so I know they're kind of coming from a good place. They've really kind of allowed me and, and kind of helped me push when I had four or five jobs in four or five years and I was just kind of very anxious and overwhelmed. They were able to put it into perspective and, and help me focus on, you know, what I'm bringing to the table and alleviate some of the fear and help maybe build some confidence that I wasn't able to kind of find for myself. So, I mean, I would say to anybody, find yourself a mentor, find yourself a sponsor. Don't wait for it to fall in your lap because it's not going to. And you would be surprised just how willing and open most people are to hook up once a month or once a quarter or whatever is appropriate and just kind of catch up. Because I love telling kind of my war stories and I want, if I can tell somebody something and they can learn from it or not do it because it didn't work or do it because it worked, I love being able to kind of pass that on. So I would say like, just be proactive and be be vocal mm -hmm. about it. Because I think that's, that's what's helped me kind of connecting and networking with people 
versus someone was like, well, I'm just kind of waiting for it to come to fruition. I'm like, that's, that's not how it works. You like got to go, got to go out and find it. And that yeah. has been such a kind of important kind of like sidebar where I can bounce ideas off of and concerns and fears and, hey, I'm going to give this presentation. Is this coming with the right voice or hey, like they offered me this job and I just, I don't know if I should take it. And, you know, they can kind of give me the pros and cons and they never, you know, give the absolute answer and you don't want them to, but they give yeah. you like, okay, here's, here's what you need to think about. And here's what matters. And I find that if you can align yourself with people that have similar values, then the advice is always going to be awesome because you know, kind of where their heart and mind are, are coming from. So those are kind of my, my two cents. I've had mentors in the form of like formal bosses. I've had mentors in terms of like just colleagues, like we're on the same level, living the same journey, like let's help each other. I've had, you know, job their size <laughs> mentors. Um, they've been like all walks of life. I've had some like fancy executive sponsors that bring kind of a different picture to it. I can, you know, hopefully maybe see my future in them and they can say, if it's truly what you want, you need to work on this and work on that. And I think kind of having like a wide spectrum of support is mm. only going to, only going to kind of help you. Okay. I've got a bunch of directions we could go. Okay. Um, what you got? Do you have any anti-role models or anti-mentors? Yeah. I have a current mentor that loves to give me homework. And uh, one of his homework assignments was reflect on your like last 10 bosses and find qualities that you enjoyed and note qualities that you didn't enjoy. So I think, I mean, that's not like the, exactly what you were asking, but I think going through that process allows me to make sure like I'm displaying those qualities as a leader and as a human. And then also I try not to display some of those qualities. And that also kind of helps as you're looking for mentors and sponsors. Like, okay, well, the way this guy leads is not really kind of my MO. So like maybe we don't want to, you know, continue an extended relationship. But that kind of exercise where you list and dice that qualities has been super powerful to help me kind of grow as a leader on what to continue to do, what to do, and then just kind of what to avoid. Because I mean, I would say that's kind of like a journaling exercise, right? You're reflecting yeah. and saying, well, what was it that I didn't like? Oh, okay. Well, it was his approach to this or, oh, I just really loved it when, you know, she remembered my kid's name and checked on me when I had a cold. I mean, just like, you know, little things like that, obviously, like, you know, there, there's bigger, flashier ones. But that exercise was super interesting to kind of uncouple what's going on in here and then help me kind of point forward on on my journey, just as a career person or just a human in general, right? Because it's all, it's all applicable. Yeah. I think there's two parts of that that are super interesting. One is that no one person will be a perfect role model for you or perfect mentor. And so if you find somebody that has some traits that you admire, they can be a role model for how they approach business or fitness exactly. or exactly. whatever. And then the other one is, so I went through, I had strong mentors and good role models for a while. And yeah. then I kind of outgrew them. And, okay. and during that time, I felt a little bit lost almost. And like, I don't have somebody that I can really look up to, to like yeah. emulate. Yeah. But then I realized that I had several people that I was working closely with that I wanted to be the fucking opposite of. There you go. There you <laughs> and go. And that was super it. useful. Realizing yeah. that and saying, yeah. okay, those are people that they've gotten maybe to where I would want to be in life, but they've done it in a way that I do not want to do. Yeah. And that's and just as important, right? It's huge. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of similar to, don't want. yeah, yeah. Your guardrails, your, your baselines. The other one that I thought was interesting that you mentioned was asking for mentors and just asking for advice. Yeah. That's such an underutilized thing. 
I feel like. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm doing a project with big company and it's around like career development and stuff like that. And one of the first things that, that we did on that project was let's talk to everybody and just make it clear to them that if they want something, they have permission to go ask about it. It was a 30 minute meeting, showed some stuff. And after that meeting, several different people raised their hand and said, Hey, I'm kind of interested in this career track over here. Cool. And so they got connected with somebody that could kind of tell them about it and mentor them and, and stuff like that. And that's awesome. I don't know. It's such a small thing, but as a company, if you just give people like a little nudge and, and permission to say, Hey, if you're interested in something different than what you're doing now, you can ask and that's okay. I put it back on the person. Oh yeah. I've never waited for someone to say it's okay to ask. What's the harm in asking, right? I've gotten to try some new stuff because I, I, I've asked for it and no one was like, oh, you can ask. I was like, well, I'm going to ask because like, what's the worst thing they can do is it's just going to say no. I would almost a thousand times rather ask and find out like that's not an option than for someone to like wait to tell me that. I mean, and I get it. Like you want to obviously have the culture that that's, that's an understanding, but I, I'm just a very proactive, like I want to get it done. Like, let's talk about it that I'm just going to ask. And you may be like, no, that's yeah. not going to happen. And then I just go on to the next thing. Yeah. And, and I've always been the same way. I think most jobs that I got when I was working for other companies were because I asked for them. It's 100%. Right? Yeah. But <laughs> and, I, I get though, like when you're new or younger in your career, you're probably like intimidated to voice those questions and concerns. But the sooner I think people can get comfortable asking and knowing that there's no harm in asking. You're not saying you hate what you're doing right now. You're just saying that down the line, this may also look good. To me, that's just never going to hurt you. But I, I get the intimidation and it doesn't happen naturally. But once you kind of rip the bandaid off, I mean, the world's your oyster. All, all they can do is say, no, not right now. Or no, that's the craziest thing you've ever heard of. And, you know, you move on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, anybody that might be listening that's a leader, help share this same advice with your people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And say that, 100%. yes, you should be asking for stuff. And yeah. some people just personality types, right? They need that. I know. That I know. They need that extra, that extra push. Yeah. 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 I thought it was cool. Like you were talking about your mentors in the, like in Jazzercise. And I've heard people talk about this idea of having like a support team around mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say like giving yourself like main character syndrome or anything like that. But like if Too you late. think about like the people, if you're thinking about your individual performance and mm -hmm. trying to be better, whatever that means to you, you can look at some of the athletes around the world or even celebrities and all that stuff. Like what do they do? They've got a business manager. They've got a finance person. They've got mm -hmm. a fitness coach. They've got a nutrition person. They've got a coach for whatever their thing is, all of that stuff. And I found that kind of useful because I think we all have different areas of our life that we're trying to balance and want to improve and stuff. And like, I met a guy at the gym and he's a bodybuilder. So he's in the shows all oiled up and greasy and all that yeah, stuff and cool. like posing yeah. and, and all that stuff. And, and like, we don't talk a ton, but mm -hmm. like, I go to him when I need some accountability or some motivation or like little stuff yeah. like that. And I think that idea of kind of building a team around you for the things that you care about is, mm -hmm. is super useful. Yeah. I mean, cause it's just like, you're not going to go try to do your own cavity refill, right? Like you can't, <laughs> you're not going to be able to do everything. I think that's okay. And I think asking, asking for help is only going to lead to good things. And maybe you don't get all the help you need, but if it gets, gets you halfway there, then you're halfway closer to what you needed to, to get done. And I think it, it circles all the way back to what you said about finding your team's strengths and putting it together and working together is how we get things done. Yeah. And I think that's applicable, like even in marriage, right? Like my husband, I know what he's good at. He knows what I'm good at. And I think we function 
well because of that. Like we identify, okay, he's really good at this. I'm good at this. But if I need to step in and do it, I mean, it's, you know, not going to be as good as if he did it kind of thing. And so I think a lot of these, how to be successful doesn't just need to be in personal or life. Cause it's all, I mean, it's all the same thing. We're all working towards goals. The goals are different. Yeah. I think knowing that some of that can be translated to like multiple branches of your life. You're like, oh, okay. This doesn't just have to be a work thing. Like this helped me in work. Let me see if this can like translate into my personal life as well and, and vice versa. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think this has been super fun. I, I love know, this conversation. Really fun. Yeah. Is there anything you'd want to leave listeners with one last piece of advice or thoughts or anything? I think, I mean, I've already said it, but just ask the questions, ask for help, ask for a mentor, ask the tough questions, ask to get off early to go take your kid to gymnastics. I think just ask the questions. There's no harm in asking. And once you kind of get used to that mentality, it's only going to get better from there. And I know it's intimidating at first, especially if you're young in your career, but the more comfortable you can get with asking like, why doesn't this work this way? Or, Hey, I want this job. Can I have it? Or, Hey, I'm going to leave early because my dog's sick. Asking questions, it helps. That's my motto. Awesome. Well, yeah. this has been great. Jamie, thank you for yeah. coming on. Thanks for um, having me. If people want to like connect with you or yeah. reach out or anything, are you, if you're open to that, like, what's totally, the best way? Totally open. Um, I think you have my email address, but it's jamieellen.villareal at gmail.com. That's quite a mouthful, but they know how to get to you. So just, yeah, feel free to hand out my info as needed. Okay, perfect. And LinkedIn too, I'm assuming. Yeah, is, I'm, on, is I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Check me out on LinkedIn too. So yeah. Awesome. Well, this yeah, has been okay. another episode of the Achieve and Enjoy podcast. Thank you, Jamie, for, for coming on. That was super fun. Anybody that's listening, if you want to watch the video of this, it is on the Pod2 YouTube. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and pod2.co slash podcast to find transcription, show notes, all of that stuff. And I hope you enjoy your work this week.